Hello, and welcome to Life Beyond the Numbers, the podcast for those curious about the non-finance aspects or the human side of working in accounting and finance. I'm Susan Nicriazon, and while I believe there is beauty in balancing a set of financial statements, the intricacies that underpin the workings are wondrous. The real beauty for me is in working with people. The intricacies that underpin our workings are wondrous too. And not one particular combination of input or formula will ever generate the same result. Join me and my guests as we place a lens on some of these wondrous intricacies that make us unique. And as we share insights, knowledge and strategies to inspire your life beyond the numbers. Well, this morning I am joined by Javed Bobat. Javed, I am so delighted to get round to this interview with you. How are you? Yes, likewise, equally delighted. I'm very well. So Javed, your career really has been in uh, recruitment for finance and accounting professionals. As an accounting and finance professional myself, uh, I can say that there's probably a stereotype around recruiters, much like there's a stereotype around accountants, but we're kind of maybe a bit cheesed off often with the recruitment industry and think you're only all about the numbers. Maybe you can tell me a bit more about how you approach recruitment. Yeah, I guess for me, there's a lot I'm critical about about my own industry. And I think a lot of it is warranted. And having been in the industry for 18 years, I've worked for four different companies. I've worked for two of the world's largest recruitment companies through to one or two more smaller regional companies. So feel that I'm in a better position than most to have an opinion based on my experiences of what I've seen and observed and also then what others have shared with me as well so I think the stereotype is there and there is substance behind it that it's almost every conversation I have now and I have done for years and years with recruitment everyone seems to have some negativity some frustration some disappointment even at times anger towards recruiters and when you when you repeatedly hear that in pretty much every conversation you have to take a step back which I did a few years ago and realize realize that something isn't right and something does need to change but there seems to be a universal reluctance in order for the industry to want to do that on mass so then you move forward and go right okay well If it's not going to happen as an industry, as a collective moving forward, then you have to take that responsibility in your own hands. And that's where I've made the decision over the last sort of 12, 18 months to to sort of research plan and then bring to market something that I hope and I know will bring some humanity back within an industry where I feel it is lacking. So what's your differentiator? What is it that's going to be different that brings the humanity back in? I'm going to move away from the differentiators that almost every other recruitment agency we use. I've got a long tenure. I've got a proven track record. We've got a big database of candidates. I think what you do notice and when I speak to every client is that every USP doesn't sound unique 
the areas that I want to focus on, there's two passions that I have, and one is to recruit ethically, and the other one is recognising the challenges and the real challenges faced around mental health and well-being in the workplace and bringing those together which sounds a bit of an unholy union you know bringing recruitment and mental health but i feel there is a huge opportunity for the market to evolve where it's not just about finding the right person a job but supporting the individual that you find a role for as well as then the company that you recruit for around mental health and well-being it's taken a long time to really shape what that looks like because they do as they don't mix when you look at them on face value but after a lot of research focus groups and some early trials it, it you know it is now a proven model that is ready to be rolled out to a wider audience cool what makes your recruitment ethical yeah i think the, the ethical element and one of the things that I am focusing on, there's a concept out there called B Corp. It's companies that you sign up for and there's a rigorous procedure where it's companies that are going about things with purpose. And I'm all for entrepreneurism, all for growing businesses and being successful and making a profit, but to do it with purpose. And the ethical element comes in is, and, and it will be from everything from the suppliers I have through to how I grow the business in terms of the culture that I generate within my team and from the clients and the candidates and job seekers who work with me is to ensure there's an approach that truly puts people first. Now, anyone listening to that particular phrase alone will have heard that countless times from recruiters over the years. We put our clients in and our candidates first, but ultimately what my model is proving is I'm putting my money where my mouth is and I use the fees that I generate my own money to invest in mental health and well-being. So I'm not asking clients to pay more. I'm taking it out of my own pocket and then providing an experience that ultimately supports a client and a candidate. It will long after I've filled the job or I've found someone a job. Okay, so maybe talk us through what it would be like. Let's say I'm a CFO and I'm looking for a financial controller and I connect with you through myself or my HR. Like, how does the process work? Yeah, sure. So if we fast forward the bit where you've perhaps spoken to me and within your eyes speak to a few others and then you've chosen to work with me. So the next steps would be is we would agree the parameters of the role etc we would then agree a fee up front which is very transparent um it's the same for every client so you could be a an sme or a plc anything in the middle it's the same fee structure for everybody and what that ensures is i am putting the same amount of effort in and there's no bias because oh well that 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 client is paying more or less so i think you're safe in the knowledge that you are getting 100 focus attention on the role itself Obviously, my experience as a recruiter goes back over 18 years, and that's when I'd be talking through exactly what I do and how I do things. That in itself won't be different for the recruiters because ultimately that is part of the service that any recruitment agency offers. I think where the magic begins to happen is knowing what the fee is up front. I then we then calculate what percentage of the fee is going to be set aside for mental health and well-being. And the way that it's split is into three core areas. So instantly when 
um, and start working the role, you would then nominate someone within the finance team or the company um, to become a mental health first aider. So as well as being a recruiter, I'm a mental health first aid instructor. So I will train a mental health first aider out of the, the cost of the recruitment fee, out of my cost, at no charge to you. So that's the first wow. thing. Um, and obviously that's my element of that one for one, which is a, a concept within purposeful businesses that's been going on for quite some time where some companies make a charitable donation for every purchase. So it's my way of replicating that as my one for one. It's like Tom's shoes. You buy yes. a pair of Tom's shoes and another pair goes to Africa. Exactly. And that's what obviously probably one of the most well-known examples and others then nominate X percent charities all really excellent sort of initiatives that organizations have so that's my one for one it goes on to another two levels so i put aside up to 10 percent of the recruitment fee then to invest in the team's mental health and well-being so we know the amount up front because you know the recruitment fee payable so that is then a mental health and well-being budget and then the finance team and whoever's recruiting the role whether it's the fd or if HR is the main contact, you have that as a well-being pot for them to spend on. Where that is administered is I've got together a number of corporate and well-being partners. And no matter what your interest is, whether it's digital-based, classroom-based, I've got pretty much every type of mental health and well-being provision or service or solution, workshop, classroom, apps, everything that's available so you know you don't have to go and research and find things the good thing about it is i've done the heavy lifting and you can then look on the partnerships page and the beauty of it is is the team are empowered to choose what they want to spend it on wow and that really brings the engagement and buy-in and the whole experience to a completely new level because some of the frustrations that come from employees is that from a well-being point of view, because everything's coordinated centrally, it can feel impersonal and sometimes not authentic. And and what my focus groups and my early trials have found is the big standout is not just getting the budget, but the fact that you can go to the team of two, three, five, whatever it is, right, you've got a well-being budget here. It's completely unexpected. What do you want to spend it on? Why do you go research the partnerships, you know, figure out between you what you're interested in, come back. And then what I do is you just tell me what you want as a team and then I go and administer that spend. And then whatever that is, then you would get access to. So it's like a menu effectively. Yeah. And can different people in the team choose different things? It's designed to be a team solution. I think you could separate the budget. I guess there's no reason why not, especially if there's a, a clear sort of a division where there's one, it's one or two want classroom based and one or two want some of the digital ones. Um, because I know, for example, when it comes to digital and apps, there are some that will be very much more interested in it. Some will want more of the traditional things around someone coming to the office and it might be sort of a yoga mindfulness or, or some form of a classroom-based solution. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's designed to give you as much choice as possible. And ultimately, the budget is there to split how they want. That's not for me to dictate. And once they choose, all I do is then administer that. So the team get that and then there's another level as well so the third section of it is then the candidate gets a well-being and learning wallet um, and again that's coming out of the recruitment fee the the theory being that it's to transition them into a new job 
a lot of the frustration is amongst candidates and even clients that someone finds them a job and some don't catch up, follow up with them at all. Some may do a token follow up, but it doesn't, it almost feels very sort of uh, empty. I mean, to put it crudely, some are just checking that the rebate period passes <laughs> to make sure they've got paid. So I think showing that there's a level of care way after I um, I found them a job. So they get a wellbeing and learning wallet. Again, it's a budget that I give them out of the recruitment fee. Um, there's a different wallet for them. Let's say you were interested in cycling and you wanted the Peloton app subscription, then uh, and I'd and I'd then buy that for you, and then I'd give that. If from a learning point of view, you could say that oh, actually, I want to sort of improve my technical skills around Power BI, and I want a Power BI course. So I've got a partnership with Udemy, and I would then again buy them an online course or. Yeah, financial well-being, emotional well-being, the premium subscriptions of the very best out there. So the candidate actually benefits twice. So he gets a well-being learning wallet or she, and he also and she benefits from the team's well-being budget. So the candidate, in effect, benefits twice. Wow, amazing. But also, I guess you've developed a strong relationship with that candidate as well as the organisation. Yes, this is really for me to demonstrate that I don't just want to fill a job or I don't want to just find someone a job. I'm I'm in it beyond that and I want to support the transition for the candidate smooth, make sure it's the right role, their well-being supported. For the team, it's a complete bonus because ultimately if someone gets recruited in the team, it's obviously great to have that person come on board, but they would never expect to be part of the recruitment agency experience and the fact that the company the team and the individual i'm finding a job for they're all part of it 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 just makes the whole experience infinitely more of a a different level than one you may get elsewhere well yeah and because i think perhaps you felt like a number often if you went through a recruitment process you just felt like well i don't fit the absolute criteria so i'm not the top of the pile for this job because they'd rather find the exact match. So do you try and match the person to the company as well, the actual human behind the CV? Yes. I mean, I guess there's always that duty for a recruiter in order to ensure that you find someone with the right technical skills and the person fit. And in order to do the latter, you really have to get to know and want to get to know the company well, their culture and values really get, get your ear close to the ground. And the best way to do that, as always, is meet and have conversations, ask the right questions in order to achieve that. The layer that has been added in terms of what I do and is the mental health and well-being part is part of my recruitment offering. It's not a on top or a in addition to. It's a fully integrated model. And I've spoken to one or two clients who... For example, I had one who said, oh, actually the 10% that you set aside for the recruitment fee, can you just knock that off the fee? Which is as as big an alarm bell for, for a number of reasons. A, there are, and I know it's about the race to the bottom on fees and I wouldn't compromise, but you've given me a massive warning bell on where you view mental health and well-being and how can I then go speak to someone who's looking for a role say to them that I've, I combine recruitment with mental health and well-being, instantly what 
a job seeker knows from me is I'm working with a company that is somewhere on the mental health and well-being journey. Now, you don't have to be way along. You could be curious and want want and have that intent to want to. But as long as you're somewhere along that journey, that's fine. It's just if you're not, and then that's reflected in one or two conversations I've had. That's fascinating because it was one of the questions that was coming into my head was, are people asking you to knock that part off? Because, yeah, it is an alarm bell. But I think also we call it mental health and well-being. We can call it whatever we like. But at the end of the day, it's about people being healthy at work. Yeah. And looking after your employees, which actually it's the duty of care. And you're almost handing them some tools on a silver platter yeah and, and one through there's an existing process that you as an employer do many times in the year which is recruitment so it's not a new concept and if you are using recruitment agencies then you are obviously have a recruitment budget so the fact the beauty is that it's in an existing process there's not an additional cost incurred it's almost like it, it is technically a free well-being budget now no one should turn their nose about a free well-being budget not least from a human element and the the impact it can have on individuals that then experience it but even if you wanted to put some numbers on it in percentages there is an roi on the more engaged the more happy from a well-being point of view the more positive someone feels about their workplace and how supported they are, the more productive they will be, the more output you'll get out of them. And you will also then improve your retention levels. And, and the numbers vary, you know, one pound will lead to, I've seen it anything from between four or five pounds that, um, that the Deloitte Health Report did back in January through to then other reports that have even put it upwards to seven or eight pounds for a pound. There is that ROI and I hope that as time goes on, I think it will, that the penny will drop. And it, if it's going to drop, it's going to drop amongst accountants and CFOs and FDs first. But there is an ROI there. This isn't just a, a nice thing to do. Is I mean, Of course, it's a nice thing to do, but there is genuine benefits that you will, as a company, realise. You will make more money and save more money if you wanted to put it in those crew terms. And I think what you say about the finance directors and CFOs, the penny dropping for them first, and that's fantastic because if you add that in with HR and then make it something that the company has, it's it's fabulous. Yeah. It's I think fabulous. the HR leaders, CFOs, board members, and you say to me, what are the key challenges that a business faces and that's going to affect and hinder their sort of growth and success? And it revolves predominantly around people. Mm. Every, and, and ultimately it will be around how can we recruit and attract the right people then when we've got them on board, how can we support them in terms of their well-being in order to make sure we engage them better and, and also then retain them because you don't want to lose them either. So you've got this whole thing of recruitment and then engagement and retention. Everything surrounds your people. Without people, you, no company can be a success. Um, you can bring all the robotics and AI that's coming out now and will be, but the human element, people element will be there. I think it's been a shame over the years that companies have recruited the people, but then not supported them in terms of their well-being and to some degree development where they're not engaged and retained. You've not had the best out of them or they've moved on earlier than they should have done. Mm. And this is the thing that every 
board member always be scratching their head at every meeting? How can yeah. you improve those? Or they've suffered in silence, I think, as well, even while they're there. And perhaps the mental health first aid, I mean, that's a fantastic thing to offer individuals. How's that going? Yeah, so, so the first cohort was, well, they were back in late November. So it was really good to do that. And it was great to have you on there as, a, as part of the first cohort. I did another two going into the new year. Things were sort of building up sort of really well. And then had another two in the pipeline, which were fully registered. And, you know, the uptake was there. Sadly, then our, all our worlds have been turned upside down with covid and the subsequent lockdown so unfortunately i've had to cancel and postpone them which is a bit of a shame because the momentum was building and i think as as i'm sure you know as it starts sort of building that momentum it's going to create more stir and interest so temporarily it's hit the buffers i'll look to resume them and then re-pick the momentum back up the three cohorts are great you know there's been some great follow-ups that i've had and what i've always committed to is I'm not, as a mental health first aid instructor, I'm not just going to train a group and individuals. I'll provide a level of support afterwards. And that's the bit I'm particularly interested in because everyone's on at different stages of their individual journey, but also where they're taking that in work and for some outside of work as well, or their respective businesses. Yeah, there's a massive ripple effect to that for everybody that's trained the impact they can have in the lives of people they touch is incredible so what prompted you in the first place to become a mental health first aid trainer yourself and to develop this model so the the story i i didn't even know about a mental first aid england where it started to sort of um, come to my attention was probably around this time late 2018 around autumn i'd recently left a my role where i was director of a multinational recruitment company um, and was taking time out to focus on my own mental health and well-being because i'd had gone through and was going through a particularly tough time and in that time after i'd left i'd always vowed that i would take as much time as i wanted a to focus on my own well-being to understand get a bit more self-awareness around my own sort of feelings and things that I was going through at the time and these were feelings that had manifested themselves over a lot of my adult life but in particular over the few years building up to this time two years ago as part of my research and learning you start to learn about right who were the mental health charities and you know you start to see some of their resources and learn and really on the back of that then came across sort of mental health first aid England and then looked into what they do and um, that's where the interest started I think the instructor thing did was happened another two or three months later. I think mean, I'd I just viewed Mental Health First Aid England as part of my overall research of just learning more about me and learning more about mental health and well-being. What I quickly began to realise when doing this was that I, I've always, through my adult life, whether be that outside of work, I've always put other people first. And I know one of the big qualities I would have had over and over my skill as a recruiter was how I managed coached nurtured and developed individuals um but really took a sort of personal interest in them as well so then their well-being in and outside of work and because i felt that if i did that and i did that well and i supported them and i then know i'd get a lot more in return and the success of them as individuals and then the company 
is a reflection of that and is hugely successful. So knowing that I had that and passion outside of work, my original idea is could I just provide emotional support to job seekers when I do start my recruitment company? And then I was sat with my wife. We do, I think we've gone out for a meal and she said, well, why do you sort of formalise it in some form of qualification? And my instant reaction was, well, I don't really want to go to a degree right now, not at my sort of age. But I looked into it and then realised that myself first aid do train instructors, looked at the course and then looked at what was required. And it was almost the penny dropped straight away saying, absolutely, I can do this. I can commit to becoming an instructor. It also allows me to then bring both my passions and it was only then that the actual idea of what I was going to do next both from a recruitment and mental side started to really take shape where before it was a vague idea of I want I'm going to start a recruitment company and I know it's going to be recruiting finance but that was it and then this other element of how can I help people more all of a sudden I saw the course and then the ideas started coming and it's amazing when an idea comes, one idea comes and then all of a sudden you have one or two conversations and then it snowballs. And then there's just been an explosion of ideas. And I'm sure that helped in my recovery as well, because I was simultaneously going through therapy to try and get better. And all of a sudden there was this snowball effect that just everything started to happen so quickly. And then from being devoid of creativity and ideas and from a well-being point of view, being very low to then slowly just sort of lifting and lifting and lifting and then next thing I know sort of signed up to become an instructor and then I then just sort of held on to it until I was in a position to then really fine-tune what my two companies were going to look like and then look to then administer the training which I did obviously later in the year. Fantastic you said community is a big part of your offer as well and you're very active on LinkedIn and have built a community, but also there's the written work that you do and the Pulse Report. So maybe you talk a little bit about the idea behind community. Yeah, I think there's a couple of rationales behind it. I think first, if you look at it from my core offering from a recruitment side, I think the recruiter relationship between um, the sectors that it serves, the clients that it works with and the clients, uh, candidates, I think is arm's length but for many and there isn't really that true connection there. And if I think of what I want to achieve with both of the companies that I've set up is I want to look back sort of over a period of 10 years and there's a sense of building a community and obviously then what that looks like is going to continually evolve. But the things that you mentioned that absolutely I've done is the mental first aiders is going to be one area and I'm going to continue that. And I want to build the biggest community of mental first aiders trained in finance. And then at some point, I'm going to be setting up a private group of mental first aiders that I've trained who can share knowledge and best practice. So that's one element of community that will develop and it's going to be a fantastic group in the next few years. Then the other area, then what I'd always noticed over the years with accountants is it's very much sort of black and white in terms of your job and in terms of what you do and what's required. And there's very little sort of opportunity for creativity to express your views and ideas, hobbies and interests, passions, and even knowledge share up to a point. And 
you know, the more I've learned that over the years and then more conversation I've recently, then I thought, well, actually, how about to create a platform and a community for um, accountants to basically write blogs and content of anything of their choosing and also then taking into account a frustration that some accountants felt that if they tried to do that internally, they'd be pressured to say, oh, well, you haven't got time and then we need to get internal comms involved, we need to get marketing involved, we need to get HR involved. It's too many hoops to jump through. So stripped it all back and that's right. Whoever you are, no matter what level, whether it's sort of CFO or you're a, a graduate and we have had everything, we have had that those extremes, you can write on any topic of your choosing, whatever you're passionate about. It'll be unaltered, unedited, and tarry your sort of views, and then that can then get shared out to a wider audience. So yeah, the, the concept's called written for you by you. There's a hashtag on it on LinkedIn and the other social channels. What started off with me thinking, oh, I don't think I'll get many interested to do it regularly. Maybe I'll do it once a month. That then sort of uh, has really accelerated. And firstly, to thank you for being the early contributor and your article was fantastically well received. And I think that's has served as a momentum to then build up and build up. Fast forward five months, what I thought was going to be one a month, it's now averaging between two and three a month. So we're approaching 20 blog articles written by and for accountants. And the momentum continues to build. I've got a backlog that I, um, that have expressed an interest. It's just my job to prod and poke them. That I think there's at least 20 to 25 that have expressed an initial interest and I just need to nurture them along in order to do so. But that bit's been really good in order to do that. The other final community element is that I've set up a community interest company. I want it to be a mental health, well-being and learning hub for finance. Again, I'm going to fund that through the recruitment fees that I generate for, and that'll be a community in itself as well. So the big message is if you go onto my website, you're not just going there to look for a job. You're not just a client that's interested in my services, but there's a huge amount of knowledge, share, content, blogs, uh, well-being resources, mental health resources, support, signposting. And really then you take a step back and go, right, that's a community where I want to look back in five, 10 years and that's what I want. And I think wherever you look in life, there's a massive sense of if you build that community and that sense of inclusion with a, a tribe, if you want to call it a tribe or a group, that then that sort of develops a lot more, um, even more sort of ideas, even more knowledge, even more best practice and it then enriches so many other people. And that's what I'm there to achieve. And thankfully, I know that it's, I can't achieve that on my own, but with a community and contributors and friends of the organisation and anyone who wants to participate and be involved, they'll get a lot out of it and others will get a lot out of it as a result. Yeah, and what you say about not being on your own, that goes for everybody out there reading this as well, because often we think what we're going through ourselves, that no one else is experiencing it. And that's what you get when you read some of these articles is like, wow, I didn't think anyone else ever went through that or had to put up with that situation. And there's great strength for people in knowing they're not alone. Absolutely. And one of the big reveals in summer was the Wellbeing Pulse Report that I did for finance. So it was the very first one of its kind. And it was on the back of over 300 poll results and conversations with FD, CFOs, finance contacts at different levels, HR leaders, business owners, and 
what I've done with part one of the report is really bring together a shared and collective experience of what this year has served up for every single one of us. And yes, I've focused it on finance because that is my core area, but ultimately what part one is is a series of quotes about, about individuals' experiences and the feedback on the back of it was absolutely phenomenal. Um, and more importantly, it was extremely relatable. So every single person who read it said that there was at least two or more things on that well-being report that they could go, I've experienced that, I've been through that, that's exactly how I felt. And there was almost that sense of, I'm glad that I wasn't the only one because we're all, we were physically siloed in working from home and no amount of technology can bring the sort of the emotional roller coaster and the impact of what this calendar year has proven. And what that report did was really bring a shared collective emotion and I was, it was fantastic to put together and so many conversations and so many people contributed to it but it's just a reaction afterwards it was great that it allowed others to feel a sense of that sort of comfort and oh thank goodness it just wasn't me and um and and that hopefully just gave them a momentary boost of right well, I'm not the only one going through this and I know there's a lot of comparing notes even amongst teams so wellbeing report and everywhere I had that or I felt that so it almost instigated conversations amongst finance teams and or between FCs, FDs and their teams that they never had before so the report was almost forming a basis of encouraging a conversation that they didn't even have up to that point or not to the same degree but the report gave them a comfort blanket of oh, look have you read that have you read that I found and I'm continuing to have a number of conversations with FDs and CFOs and heads of finance and going right you know using this report as a conversation starter for their team to get them to understand exactly what everyone's going through amazing there's an element of you know the word that comes to my mind what as we're talking here is bravery because I think you in yourself your journey sharing it with us sharing it with the world what you're doing is ex- extremely brave yeah. but also collating information and okay it was anonymous in the survey but you rely on people having courage and bravery to speak up and speak out and because it's something that everybody deals with in their lifetime yeah is understanding how to manage your own well-being and even talk about it i mean i'm i've been so humble but with how open many have been in their conversation with me and, and some from the very first call which you know i'm absolutely yeah, will support in, in any way i can but whether someone either is struggling or just comfortable talking about where you are in terms of your own mental well-being and the mental well-being journey of your team etc because the, things like that report and what i'm what i'm able to sort of share on social media in terms of experiences they're not coming from textbooks. They're not coming from, you know, the internet. They are, they're coming, I'm drawing conversations and then reflecting on those conversations and go, how can I translate those in a way that is informative and educational to, in order to ensure that I'm using what's being shared with me in complete confidence and also in a way that is delivering the right tone as well. Because what I don't want to be is someone who, is 
just going to rant and attention seek because that's not my intention. My, my, my intention is to take the bravery of ones who are, you know, willing to talk about it and go, how can I enrich other people with what they've shared? As, and that is something through the social media work that I post every week is the message I'm trying to get across. And it's working and it's been done with dignity, integrity and respect. And so I can't speak on behalf of the finance and accounting community, but I can certainly say that what you're doing and shining the light is definitely making a difference. And thank you. Well, I've only just started. This is where, you know, and people look in the whites of my eyes and go, this is, this isn't something I just thought and it's going to be a phase i'm in this and this is my one shot of making this a success and having both the impact on the industry and then individuals that i work with and companies that i work with um and yeah mental well-being is not going away and whilst it's topical now the the efforts need to be continuous and sustained fast forward five ten years and I'd want sort of not just me but others to look back who have followed me and contributed on that journey to go yeah well sort of have been sort of great to be part of this either as a direct contributor or even someone who hasn't directly contributed but even watches or views or reads the content everyone is playing their part because ultimately they are then digesting that podcast or that content or that report and those experiences and then they are then translating them into their own lives in and outside of work yeah the relatability as you said mm. and i suppose javed your own mental health and well-being or work-life balance what does that mean to you now because i assume it must be quite different from when you worked in for someone else as opposed to now yeah i'm thinking of how I used to work before now and the differences are significant I I had a work ethic that came from my parents where when I was 14 I you know was sent to a market stall to work for three pounds something an hour and so basically since the age of 14 I worked when I was at university when it came to the holidays and even during term time sometimes I worked I just had this sort of work ethic drilled into me as many of us do and it's the work ethic of you work hard but you also work the hours which obviously has changed now it's more output driven but it's more about the more hours you work then you've got to feel it and you've got to really sort of be on your knees at the end of the day take that into recruitment it is a really really tough industry to work in the culture is synonymous with very long hours and i knew that from the off and that has never changed throughout my time in recruitment and even fast forward into when i got had children yes i managed to juggle it but on reflection, I again placed a lot more emphasis on, on work and just about kept my commitments when it comes to outside of work um, and family in particular. I think the difference now is circumstances with sort of family and in particular, even even if we weren't in lockdown, means that I'm spending a lot more and working around my family and knowing that my family and my well-being come first. And that is something I never used to prioritise. It was everything and everyone else first. And whilst I still do that, and I will absolutely put people first, but knowing that my well-being comes first, because you know my sort of challenges around my own mental well-being mean that they're always there, and I have to manage them. And thankfully, I am managed them 
and managing them a lot better. But ultimately what that's driven down to is my own self-care, my own well-being, focusing on that, making sure my family attending to and that's from simple things from school runs and not being distracted at bath time and bedtime stories with your phone or taking phone calls my diary is now blocked out at set times where you can't book a time to call with me there's little things that you can begin to do to focus your time with family and i don't work the blocks of 12 hours plus that i used to do but what i do is more shorter blocks and you know to work around it but my output's still the same, if not, um, obviously, but well, pre-lockdown was definitely better. Lockdown has made it a bit trickier, but as my kids have gone back to school, I can now see the, the opportunity of really having that upside in productivity. And it's not just about the hours. It's never about the numbers anyway, is it? Yeah. It's always about the people. Yeah, exactly. Um, I probably could keep talking to you for hours about this, Javed, and there are some parts I'd love to have gone into a bit more and perhaps we can come back to them at a later episode and maybe take even each one of those three levels, the mental health first aid, the investment in teams and the candidate well-being and learning, because each of those on their own are incredible contributions to the world. But overall, I wish you every success in your business in all businesses and I hope that people reach out to you and start adapting a new model of recruitment and to do that how does someone connect with you Javid? Yeah pretty much every social media channel I think the most active one I'm on is LinkedIn so you can find me on LinkedIn as Javid Bobat or there are the two company pages that are on LinkedIn which is FIDE and F Mental Health um, in terms of my websites, they're, they're obviously um, fully functional and operational. And all the feedback I've had is the recruitment one is nothing like you've ever seen because of the rich diversity of content, community and articles, etc. that are on there. So, yeah. Um, so the website, www.fide.careers um, is the recruitment arm. The community interest company I set up um, is www.ffreddy.com mentalhealth.org instagram twitter facebook if you just type in five careers or f mental health your website i think the colors i just love every time you go on there there's a sense of oh this is joyful it's not like that corporate wooden looking people recruiting there's like oh this is interesting yeah so we're moving away from the blues which is synonymous with professional services accountancy firms when i set out i wanted to build a brand that was Add a, a, everything from the logo to what it stood for, the color palette, the website, just nothing like anything that's out there. And, you know, I'm so pleased that I've been able to achieve that. There's going to be more content added, more mental well-being resources. And as I build that up and there's more contributions in blog content from written for you, by you, yeah, it's only going to get even better. But yeah, I'm, it's really is a website I'm proud of and I'm going to be looking forward to continually evolving. Fantastic. Well, it's, a, it's an ecosystem of ethical recruitment and people and profit and purpose. Yeah. And it's really exciting. I wish you the very best in the journey. And I hope you'll come and talk to us again sometime, Javid. Susan, it'd be an absolute pleasure. And I can't thank you enough for having me. It's, I'm new to these, but it's ones that I'm enjoying a lot. So thanks for having me and wishing you the best as well. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you for listening today. 
And if you enjoyed our exploration of life beyond the numbers, please subscribe to this podcast and share it with others who might also be curious about their own life beyond the numbers. Thank you.